Have you ever spent much time reading the prayers of the Bible? There, there's some really magnificent prayers that God has inspired authors of His Scripture to record for us. They're, these are prayers that are prayed under inspiration, and then they're recorded in the Bible under inspiration. And I'm going to tell you, these prayers command our attention. If, if you want to know how to pray... I absolutely think one of the best ways to learn how to pray is to read the prayers that God has given us in the Word. I'm I'm thinking of the prayer of Moses in Psalm chapter 90. It will teach you how to worship and praise and adore God. I'm thinking of Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2. It'll, It'll teach you the same, how to rawly and, and with unbridled affection for God, worship Him. I'm thinking of Mary's prayer in Luke. I think it's Luke chapter 1, the Magnificat's what we call it, where she discovers that she has conceived the Christ child, and she sings out in praise to God. And it teaches us. It teaches us how to worship God in prayer. Man, I love the prayer of Moses. I think it's in Exodus 33 when he pleads with God, don't Abandon us. You must go with us for your namesake. You must go before us so that the world will know that we're your people. I love uh, Samuel's prayer when the people want Saul to be their king and he intercedes on behalf of them and God says, let them have what they want. But Samuel pleaded before God on their behalf. Ezra, I I can't remember where it is. Ezra, I believe it's in chapter 9, prays a prayer of confession on behalf of the people of Israel that should inform us of how we should pray before God in confession. So if you want to know how to pray, you should read these prayers. That's why they're given to us, and you should mimic them. They should be a pattern that you use to follow as you pray to God. Well, this morning in Daniel chapter 9, I left this one out because this is our text for this morning. This morning in Daniel chapter 9, we have one of these prayers. And in verses 1 through 19, this, is, this has got to be one of the most beautiful prayers in all of the Bible. And God interrupts the story of Daniel, if you will. I, I guess interrupts is the word. But up to this point, we've, we've had fiery furnaces. We've had lion's dens. We've had statues. We've had beasts. We've had horns. And these horns that had eyes and mouths and they speak and... All this wild stuff's happened. Leopards with wings and four heads and all kinds of things. And now we come to Daniel chapter 9 and we get a prayer. We get a prayer. And and I'm going to tell you, Daniel 9, the first uh, 23 verses, often neglected in Bible study and in preaching, because we jump to the end of Daniel 9, where the 70 days and the prophecy of the end times... We're going to get there, but we're not going there today because God has for us today a workshop on prayer. And I think we've got some very, very important things that we need to pull out of this prayer. And so we're going to work through Daniel 9, 1 through 19, and then we're going to glance at 20 through 23, but we'll look more at that on the next occasion that we're in this book of Daniel. So join with me, starting in verse 1, and here's the first point right out of the gate I want you to get. We are going to see here, devotion to God's Word drives us to be devoted to God's work. 
I want to say that again. This is very, very important. Devotion to God's Word results in devotion to God's work. That's what we learn in these first few verses. Read with me 1 through 3. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, I've said this 3,000 times and I can't pronounce it, Ahasuerus, Ahasuerus, there we go, Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So if we set the scene real quick, this is Daniel. Twelve years after what we looked at last week in Daniel chapter 8, we've got twelve years that we've fast-forwarded. Daniel's now 82 years of age, if you follow the math from the 605 exile into Babylon. He's been in exile in Babylon for 67 years. Imagine a hostage, an exile in a land that's not his own for 67 years. And you need to hold on to that 67. Daniel, it says here in verse 2, that he perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord must pass before the ends of the desolations of Jerusalem. He perceived in the books, and the books included here the word of the Lord according to Jeremiah the prophet. So what we have here is Daniel about to engage in a time of prayer, and it is precipitated by him in a Bible study. He is studying his Bible. He's no doubt got the Word of God according to Jeremiah before him. And as we see through this prayer, he's probably got the books of the law as well because he's going to cite from Moses. So he's got Genesis and Exodus all the way through Deuteronomy. And so Daniel is engaged in Bible study and his vision and his prayer originate out of God's Word. God's Word is the fuel that drives Daniel's prayer. And I want to ask you this morning, as we work through this, are you like Daniel? Because Daniel, no doubt, is a reader. He is a reader. He is a reader of God's Word. It informs his life. It drives his prayers. You know, as Christians, when we say that we believe in Jesus Christ, we sign up to be readers. Because God communicated to us in a book. (laughs) And if we do not read this, we go anemic. We don't know how to act. We don't know how to think. We certainly don't know how to pray. And so Daniel was a reader, and I would urge you this morning to become, if you are not already, a reader of God's Word. Because I want you to watch what it does in Daniel's life. You know, we've talked often here, especially this year, we need to be a people that are devoted to this book. And we don't need to just read it and set it aside. We need to do a lot with this book. We need to read the Word. We need to memorize the Word. We need to meditate on the Word. We need to absolutely pray the Word. And then we need to get out and do the Word, right? That's what Daniel does. He doesn't stop at reading. 
It drives all the way through his prayer life and his actions because he's meditated on it and he's memorized it. So let's agree that we must mimic Daniel in being people who read God's Word and act and pray and think and speak accordingly. Now, what did he perceive as a result of reading this Word? What did he, what did he get when he read Jeremiah's writings? What did he get? Well, it says specifically there, in verse 2, he perceived the number of years before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem. Namely, namely, 70. He got some specific information. He perceived from reading God's Word that Jerusalem would be continued to be punished up until a 70th year was completed. I shared this with you last week, but Jeremiah preached this in Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 11 through 12. It says this, This whole land, this is God speaking through the pen of Jeremiah, This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Daniel's reading this. He's being informed by this. He goes on. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon in that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. Daniel reads this. It's recorded for him. And what he reads are included in this some commands, some disobedience, some desolations, and then a duration. Okay? He reads these things in the writings of Jeremiah, and obviously as well as Moses. And I want you to hearken back to what I said at the beginning. How long has Daniel been in exile in Babylon? 67 years. It's the year 538 B.C. They became captives at 605 B.C. You do some math, that's 67 years. And Daniel in his reading perceives that there's 70 years that need to click off the calendar... So he's three years short, right? He's getting close to the end. <laughs> he's got a light at the end of the tunnel. Now, I want you to watch and see what Daniel figures out and does with this 70-year thing. He doesn't read that and say, 70 years, oh, three more to go, pinch out the candle, go back to sleep, wake up tomorrow and get after it again. It's not his... Groundhog Day, where he wakes up and he saw his shadow. Oh, three more years of winter. I've got to go back into my hole and go back to sleep. He doesn't do that. He is very informed by this. And what he does next is absolutely astonishing. If you really stop and think about it. And I think we read the Bible sometimes too quickly and we don't pause and ponder What's going on in this? He has just learned that the sovereign God has said it will be 70 years. And immediately it sends him into prayer. He didn't go back up under the covers and hide for three more years. He doesn't traipse around for th oh, three more years. He bangs down on his knees. And he prays fervently with passion. He prays ambitiously and aggressively. And look what it says he does in verse 3. I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting, with sackcloth, with ashes. Why? Why is this Daniel's response to perceiving in the books 
that the desolations of Jerusalem will last 70 years. God has already promised Daniel mercy in three years. It's promised. It's written in the book. It's as good as done. It will happen. Seventy years will come and Israel will be free. Why then does he then plead with God to free Israel in three years? There's a really wicked belief system that exists amongst mankind. And it goes like this. God is sovereign. God has ordained everything and figured everything out, set everything into motion. And because He's done that, then I absolutely have nothing to do. I just need to sit back and let the world and the events unfold and take it on as it comes. It's wicked. That's wicked. That is not Christianity. That is not what God calls us to be about in the Bible. There are people that say, God is so sovereign that I don't need to evangelize. That is wrong. There's people that say, God is so sovereign that I don't need to pray. Doesn't do any good. He's already figured it all out. He's already set it into motion. That is wrong. And that is wicked. See Moses. See Ezra. See Hannah. See Daniel. There are people that say, God has already got it figured out, I'm either chosen or not, so it really doesn't matter, and I can go live however I want to live. And I have no responsibility in conducting myself on this earth, because God's already got it figured out. That's wicked. It's wrong. Don't buy in to that. God's sovereign purposes, in this case a 70-year timeline, God's sovereign purposes are never revealed in Scripture to excuse man from his responsibilities in this world. Never. God's sovereign purposes and will are divulged to us in Scripture to invite, to invoke, and to engage us in action. Yes, He's sovereign, but absolutely we're responsible. And He shows us His sovereign will so that we know our responsibilities within that will to be used by Him to accomplish that which He has decreed. May none of us ever say, God's got it all figured out, I don't need to do anything. They are always revealed, His sovereign ways in Scripture to motivate us. I want to give you an example. You know this passage well in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, right? Jesus says, All authority in, on, in heaven and on earth and under the earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing all in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Just look at that for a moment and put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. Jesus says, All authority has been given to me. I've got it. I am sovereign and I am the one in authority over all things that will happen. And because of that, under the cover of my authority, you go. You go. And you baptize. And you teach. And you do it in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You do it because I'm in authority. You hear this? We are to act. We are to be ambitious. We are to be engaged in the work of God. And we are to do it boldly 
and joyfully because He has all the authority. That ought to change the way we go about things. Our going, our praying, our working, these are the means by which God accomplishes His will. God in His sovereignty designs it that you and I would pray so that someone would come to faith in Jesus Christ. God designs it that you and I would get on an airplane and go to Africa and talk with people about Jesus Christ and an African village would become Christian. We are the instruments that God uses to accomplish that which He wills and decrees. What a privilege that the Creator of everything would invite us to join Him in His work. But God never says, Hey church, I got this. You just sit back. You just sit over there. I've got this. I'll deal with that. No, He says, I need you to go. I've got a mission. And Daniel clearly demonstrates this for us because he knows that it's going to be 70 years. He knows that he's in year 67. And he doesn't sit back and wait and get some popcorn and watch this thing unfold in three years. He goes to his knees. And passionately and fervently, in fasting, with sackcloth and ashes, he pleads for God to do that which God said he would do. You know, Daniel's prayer is mimicked by the Apostle John. If you turn to the book of Revelation and you see at the very end, in Revelation, it's all about Jesus' second coming. It's, it's text after text after text explaining in, in some wild terms what will happen the day Jesus Christ comes back again. And at the end of it, in chapter 22, Jesus says this. He says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. That's what John was inspired to write. And then what does John write? John says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. He now invites Jesus to come. He invites Jesus to do what Jesus just said He will do. He prays after knowing that it's a guarantee that He's coming. That's how we must be. That's how we must be. We must even be praying right now, Amen, come, Lord Jesus. So just because Jesus, just because God says it will happen doesn't mean we check out. That means we check in and we engage fervently and passionately and join Him in His work. So there we have it. There's the setup. That's what's going on as Daniel understands the future and now engages in the present. Here's the second point I want to make this morning. I want to, I want to give you two key observations from Daniel's prayer, okay? Two key observations from Daniel's prayer. The first one, short and sweet. I want you to note the structure of Daniel's prayer. There's just a, a nice structural element that we need to understand. There, there are three phases to Daniel's prayer in this text. The first phase is just in verse 4. And in that phase, he praises God, he adores God, he worships God, and he acknowledges God for being supreme and good and, and, and worthy of worship. That is how we must start our prayers. We must acknowledge this great, magnificent God when we open our time in prayer to Him. The second phase, it's verses 5 through uh, 14. In the second phrase, 
It's confession, 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 and more confession. Once we've acknowledged God for who He is and praised Him, now we're ready to say, okay, let me tell you about me though, Lord. And I am wrong before you. And so the second phase is one of confession where he is getting right with God. And then the third phase, verses 16 through 19, it's petition or request where he asks God to act, to do things. And it is only after we've acknowledged God for who he is, it's only after we've confessed to God who we are, that now we dare have the audacity to ask God to act, right? That's a really nice sequence that I recommend we all follow. God, you're great. God, I've sinned. God, will you act? That's a great sequence. Here's the second observation that we need to make. And this is an observation of the content of Daniel's prayer. The content. And listen, there are some massive issues that are contained in this prayer. Here's the first one. I've got three. First of all, the prayer is driven by God's Word. Daniel doesn't go fish out for some human Phrases that sound good and that are flowery. His prayer is driven by God's Word. You want proof? There are 17 references. In verses 4 through 19, there are 17 references to God's Word. It is littered throughout his prayer. It is the fuel that is driving him. We have terms like the books, the Word of the Lord, commandments, rules, voice of God, laws, law of Moses, your truth, Covenant, curse, oath. He is citing over and over again what God has communicated in writing in the writings of Jeremiah. He prays God's Word. The second thing, there is a heavy, heavy emphasis on sin in this prayer. I did a count. There are 20 references in verses 4 through 19. There are 20 references. References to sin. Listen to these words. There's nine different words. We've not obeyed. Sin. Five times he uses the word sin. Iniquity. Wrong. We've rebelled. We're wicked. We've turned aside. Treachery. Shame. He's acknowledging before God that we have not obeyed your word. And because of that, we have sinned. There is humility here. There is brokenness before God. And then here's a third element, and I think this one is gigantic. Gigantic. We've got to consider who's praying this prayer and where he's been for 67 years. Daniel, you see, operates by the philosophy of there is no I in team. There is no I in team, in the church, in God's people. Because you see, Daniel is a very, very righteous man. He, he didn't eat the king's delicacies. He said, I'm on a vegetable and water diet because I will not defile myself before my God. He went up into his room and prayed after the decree that no one can pray to anyone but Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Right? He goes up and prays still. He doesn't bow down to someone else for 30 days. He interprets dreams and he gives credit to God. Daniel is one of the most righteous men in all of Israel that's living in the exile of Babylon. In fact, he is the most righteous man. 
We have no record in the book of Daniel of a sin that Daniel committed. And so now we come to this prayer, and we see that there is no I in his concept of him fitting into the people of Israel. Once he's in prayer, once he's in prayer, starting in verse 4, the second half of verse 4, we never once see the pronoun I, me, or my. Never. Never. And yet we see three pronouns, our, we, and us. Okay? We see that pro- those pronouns 36 times. Ten times he says we, ten times he says us, sixteen times he says our. Daniel understands that church is a community project. This is not a, a collection of isolated individuals who park in a chair, park in a ministry, and do our own thing, and I just kind of come into this place, and I plug in and get some stuff, and then I plug out and go. No. Daniel understands that church is a community project. Look at Daniel nine twenty. Look at verse 20. While I was speaking and praying confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God. Daniel is confessing his own sin. Isn't that interesting? He says there he's confessing his own sin. So we know Daniel's not a perfect man. He's fallen. He comes from Adam and Eve. So he did confess his sin, but he also confesses the sins of all of Israel. It's a community project. He has care and concern for all the people in his community that is called the people of God. You know, we have an example of this, the exact opposite example of this in the New Testament. It's an ugly, ugly passage of Scripture. Luke 18, starting in verse 11, we have this Pharisee. It's in a parable that Jesus teaches from, and this ugly fallen, arrogant Pharisee prays. And it says this, this Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I thank you that I'm not like them. I fast twice a week I give tithes of all that I get. Daniel didn't pray like that at all. Daniel could have prayed, I didn't eat the king's meat, God, I ate vegetables. I didn't pray like they said pray for 30 days to someone other than you, God. I, I went up to my... He doesn't do any of that. He has a burden for his people that he is a member of. He is his brother's keeper. And he deeply is deeply concerned about the status of the people of God before God. And so he prays on behalf of all of my people, Israel. We need people like this in the church. We, we need this. Yes, 
within the walls of Rocky Point Baptist Church. We need men and women that would pray for one another. Even when we have sinned and we're wrong, you need to be praying for us that we would be right with God. You need to go before God on behalf of those of us in this church that would do something wrong and we will do something wrong tomorrow, this afternoon. You've got to pray for us. I've got to pray for you. We cannot be like the Pharisee says, well, God, I'm not like that member of this church. And I thank you that that's the truth. There are churches full of people that pray like that. We need to be so passionate about the big C global church that when we see churches forsaking God, we don't mock them. We don't celebrate and say, well, our brand's better over here. We go before the Lord on our knees, pleading for His mercy, wearing sackcloth and ashes, saying, Lord, will You please restore us? Because if we go by the name of Christ, that includes everyone around the world. And we're going to get to what Daniel's passion is here in a moment. But when it comes to this church... How do you pray? How do you pray for the elders of this church? How do you pray for the Sunday school teachers that you sit under the teaching of in this church? How do you pray for one another as congregational members in this church? May it be true that we pray like Daniel and that we don't pray like that Pharisee. Oh, may it be true. So with this in mind, that's all set up to this prayer now. With this in mind, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this real simple. I, I've unpacked some key elements in this prayer. Now, I just want to read humbly through this prayer. And I want you to be looking for the reciting of Scripture. I want you to be looking for the reference to sin. I want you to be looking for the we, us, our, and note the absence of I, me, my. Okay? And let's just let this wash over us. Okay? And inform us on how we should pray in the confines of our church, globally and locally. So Daniel says in verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying... And we're not going to hear I anymore after that, because now he prays. O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him... And keep His commandments. There's the adoration. Now the confession. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands in which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, 
because we have sinned against you. To the land our God belong, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. For we have rebelled against Him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in His laws which He set before us by His servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against Him. He has confirmed His words, which He spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us great calamity. For under the whole heaven... There has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. And as it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that He has done. And we have not obeyed His voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought Your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for Yourself as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. There's not a one of us that can say, I don't need to pray like that. There's not a one of us. There's not a one of us, there's not a church on the planet that has a body of believers that can say, "Ah, we don't need to pray like that. We... Every man and woman in this room must pray like this. We must be confessors. We must be repenters. Worshippers. And we must do it on behalf of one another. That's called living in community. And God called His people of Israel, and God calls His people the church to live in a community. And if one of us falls, we kind of all fall. And one of us falls, we all need to bathe that person in prayer. We need to intercede on behalf of that one to the God who made them. And we're going to fall. And we don't judge, we pray. We pray to the judge that the judge would find righteousness in that one through Jesus Christ. Where is Daniel in 2015 when you need him? Where is he? The church is in great need of men and women who pray like this. We are just like Israel of old. We're no different. We stray away from God's Word as individuals and as churches. We have all at some moment turned away from the Word of God. 
We use the Word of God in our language, and it's become so familiar, yet our actions and our thoughts and our words de- defy what the Bible says. We, we have churches today in our land and around the world that have forsaken the Word of God and they preach the doctrines of man. We have churches, we have denominations that have abandoned the core truths of the Bible when it comes to marriage, when it comes to life, when it comes to pursuing sanctification, pursuing rightness before God. We have churches that have abandoned the Word of God, and instead they give one another pep rallies to tell them how good they are, instead of how great God is. And we can either scoff at them and mock them, Or we can tear our clothes and we can put on sackcloth and wear ashes on our head and ask God to forgive them, to convict them and to forgive them so that they might get back on the straight and narrow path. You, in the coming days, will see evidence of churches abandoning the truth and the Word of God. You will see in the coming days true evidence of people at least supplementing the Word of God with the doctrines of man. It is not good. It must be prayed against. Conviction must come so that all churches in all the land, starting in Stephenville, Texas, that profess the name of Jesus Christ, they must be prayed to God for that they would do nothing but proclaim Christ and Christ crucified and resurrected. The church is desperate for such people. Within the confines of Rocky Point, we need members that pray for members like this. We will have moments where we will stray from the Word of God. We will be heavily tempted to do so, and at moments we will succumb. We must not judge. We must urge and pray and call such people out of that. We, we, need to, we need to pray for members that don't regularly attend. That is disobedience to God. God says, do not neglect the gathering as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day of Christ drawing near. We need to pray for those that neglect gathering with us, that they would stop and they would start coming. We need to pray on behalf of one another that we would obey God and test Him and give Him our tithes and our offerings. We don't need to get down on one another that we don't tithe and offer offerings here. We need to pray to God that He would change us and forgive us from this fallenness, from this sin, this disobedience. We need to pray for one another that we would pray for one another. It is a sin if we do not pray for this church. We must be a people who live in community and pray like Daniel prayed for the church, for the people of God. Here's my third point. Daniel's concern is not for man in this prayer. Daniel's concern is for God. This is the most God-centered prayer you will ever set your eyes on. 
Because this isn't a prayer saying, give us, give us, give us. Help us, help us, help us. This prayer is really about the name and the glory and the reputation of God in all the world. That's an ambitious prayer. Because we're praying for the glory of one who will never cease to exist. So listen, let's look at verse 16. 16 through 19. O Lord... According to all your righteous acts, this is the petition part where he asks God to act. Let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O Lord our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, circle those words in your Bible, not for our sake, for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. Circle that. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. This isn't a wish list for Daniel and Jerusalem and Israel to get things from God. This is a wish list for God to get glory. This is God-centered. This is a prayer that honors the Lord, that doesn't promote the man that's praying it. Verse 19 says it all, O Lord, hear Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. There's the petition, right? There's, please do these things, Lord. Delay not, but then you get this for your own sake. For your own sake. And then it's because your city and because your people are called by your name. That's why, Lord, I want you to act. Your name is at stake here, God. And your people are not wearing your name well. So yes, he appeals for mercy for God's people. He does, but he does it because they bear God's name. Yes, he appeals for Jerusalem to be restored, but it's because Jerusalem is God's city. And yes, he appeals for the temple to be rebuilt, but he appeals for that because that is God's sanctuary. That's where he dwells at that time amongst men. He does it today in hearts of you and me. He's no longer in a building He's in our hearts. And so his prayer magnifies God and it minimalizes man. That's John 3.30. He must increase, but I must decrease. That's exactly what John the Baptist said about Jesus Christ. That's exactly what Daniel is praying here to God the Father. You, Father, increase. We, as your people, decrease. So his concern is first and foremost about God and his name and his reputation. In that era, 
And for all subsequent eras, even the era that we live in today, as we read back in time this passage. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut short because the next time that we get into this, we're going to pick up in verse 20 and we're going to see how God answers this prayer. I just want you to know, though, 20 through 23, God answers Daniel's prayer. It's so amazing. He sends Gabriel, who we met last week. And what's amazing is Gabriel is sent at the beginning of Daniel's prayer. At the beginning. And it says in verse 20, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel came. Gabriel interrupted Daniel's prayer. That's a response from God. He interrupted. Oh, Lord, that you would interrupt our prayers with answers. He was sent to Daniel and it says he came in swift flight. And look what it says. Uh, Where does it say? Uh, 23, in beginning with your pleas for mercy, a word went out. In the beginning of your pleas, a word went out. And that word went out from the mouth of God. And in swift flight, Gabriel comes. To this one that is pleading before God on behalf of his people and his name. And what he says to him, we'll look at this more next time. His message from God is, you are greatly loved. He has sinned. His people have sinned. And yet he is loved. And yet they are loved so much. That God wanted to interrupt that prayer and console this weeping, praying prophet. God still works like this. But do man, does man still pray like this? We must. We must. And if God chooses to answer with Gabriel like that, praise God. If not, we must still pray like this and still pray like this. Over and over and over again. So Daniel's prayer for Israel points to the countless prayers of God's people over the millennia. You know, God promised long ago that he would send a Messiah. And so from that promise forward, people have prayed, Lord, would you send the Messiah? People have prayed, Lord, would you free us from bondage? We're in bondage to something called sin. Would you free us? And and God said he would free, he said he would do it through the Messiah, and then he actually did it with the Messiah hanging on a cross. People said, God, would you please grant us eternal life? And and God said, yes, I'll do that. I promised that I would do that. And he fulfilled that promise in a resurrection on the third day, what we will celebrate next Sunday. God said he would do it. God's people prayed that he would do it. And God did it. You see? Just like Daniel. And now people are praying for Christ to come again. I hope you are. God said He's going to send Jesus back again. We must be just like Daniel and hear this truth straight out of God's Word and then say, Amen, come Lord Jesus. We need to pray what God's promised. It's a good prayer. It's a safe prayer. It's an honoring prayer. And here's how I'll close. 
It is Palm Sunday. On this day we celebrate that Jesus Christ rode a donkey into Jerusalem. The very Jerusalem that Daniel prayed God would restore. Right? Oh, he's going to restore Jerusalem. Because he's going to restore it with his son Jesus Christ, who on this day, thousands, two thousand years ago, rode into that town to restore it. And in this, in this week we call Passion Week, where we celebrate the final days of Jesus before His crucifixion and His resurrection, we see Jesus knowing God's promise for what will come and still engaging just like Daniel in prayer. In John 17, we have Jesus praying just like Daniel prayed to God the Father. And here Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify the Son that the Son might glorify you. Daniel knew that the year was coming. It was three years away. Jesus knows the hour has come. And he prays, glorify me so that, so that I can glorify you. Because it's really all about you. Jesus prays, I have manifested your name to the people. It's all about the name of God, the reputation of God. So Christ Praise much like Daniel prays. And we must mimic both. And we must pray to Christ that He would fulfill all that He's promised soon. So can we, as a church, say we will be about this from this day going forward on behalf of the global church and the local church for the glory of the name of the Lord our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this lesson, this calling to be a people of prayer. Father, I think it's safe for me to pray on behalf of all that are here a prayer of confession that we don't pray like this. Would you forgive us? Would you lead us to mimic Daniel, to mimic the Apostle John? to mimic the Apostle Paul and Peter and all the apostles, to mimic Jesus Himself. Would you call us to be a people who pray according to Your will, that Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may we pray it all so that Your name may be renowned in all the generations, amongst all the peoples and all the nations. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.